All right, so here's another thing that I realized I should have said, so you can punch this in somewhere if you want or leave it beginning or the end or whatever. But uh, in that process of picking the team for Austin, one of the really important things that I think that we do and have been doing for the last few years is interviewing, interviewing every roller who comes to practice. As we near like the team picking process, as we near that time uh, to actually select who will be the three-person teams and who will be coaches, I try to sit down with every roller and have a conversation. We talk about what they think their role is, um, who can they roll with, whose personalities do they um, really mesh with or whose do they just not mesh with, uh, and then figure out, like, well, if they were in a support role, what support role do they see them in? Do they see themselves looking at the numbers or the strategy or do they just want to be the emotional support? They want to just make sure that like people are having a good time, enjoying themselves, taking care of themselves. I just want to make sure people know what they're getting into and know what people are comfortable with to be a part of the team. Welcome to 40 Out, the original competitive skee-ball podcast. Join us as we explore what it takes to become a legend of the lane. What's up, everyone? I'm your host, Joseph Bullard, a.k.a. Space Wolf. My name is Willie Garza, and I'm actually trying to think of a new roller name for the next season. I think I'm somewhere between Dave Roll and Axel Rolls. Yeah, I think Dave Roll. Only because you've used that one before, the Axel Rolls, right? Yeah, Axel Rolls, yeah, I've used that. Some, like, a tournament of some sort, like a one-off tournament. I also think that... Dave Grohl is a more talented musician, and that's a good enough reason to use Dave Rolls. You feel the same Just way? Just Dave Roll, yeah. Yeah, 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 Dave Roll. When I say Dave Rolls? Yeah. Yeah, not Dave Rolls. Dave Roll. Uh, so we're back today to give you the details that we kept from you in the brief update, which was our last episode. And... Now I want to actually elaborate on the preparation we talked about in that update and what we've been up to, you know, not so much in the, in the last couple of months, but in the months leading up to the national championship that happened at the end of September. The tournament was called the 2019 Skee-Ball Open, and it's hosted by a new organization called the National Skee-Ball League. To keep it short, it's a weekend that's all about skee-ball. A lot of you listening know of it or actually participated in the championship tournament that weekend, but it's really a weekend that consists of a team tournament with teams participating from all the brewskiball cities and an individual tournament consisting of people competing from the brewskiball cities plus a few other cities around the country. And what we refer to in that update was the world mug championship or the world mug tournament which is the team tournament that happens that weekend so when i refer to myself as a head coach i'm actually talking about my role as the head coach for austin's world mug team which of course is the team tournament Uh, that team consisted of 12 rollers plus one alternate and play in a similar format that we always do head to head three versus three, and 
I spent the months between May and September when the tournament actually happened, actually putting together those teams and then a ton of practice. Uh, And Joey was my assistant coach in that process. And so we worked together to, to think about ways to challenge the team and actually make sure that our rollers are prepared for a really high stakes tournament and a really high pressure situation. The most pressure that, you know, we can feel on this level for competitive ski ball. Yeah. It might be worth mentioning, or I think it personally is worth mentioning that I wasn't the only assistant coach. I mean, Austin is pretty much known for having like an insanely large coaching staff. And we essentially have an, a specific coach for every single team. I was more of like a floating coach that would kind of help out wherever was needed and, and help Willie with some of the things that were behind the scenes. But I just wanted to kind of cut in and, you know, make it known that I wasn't the only assistant coach to Willie as the head coach. All of that was definitely by design too when talking about having multiple coaches and multiple assistant coaches. That was all when I decided to take over, I guess, as head coach back in 2017 in preparation for that championship. I knew that I wanted to have a support staff so that every single one of Austin's teams would have someone there to look at the numbers, to run the numbers, see how stats are going for all the teams that are playing in the tournament, but also have a coach who was there just for the emotional support. Playing skee-ball for two days straight for something like four to six hours per day is pretty exhausting, both physically and emotionally. And I want to make sure people were you know, taking care of themselves, getting food, to eat and not just worrying about the stress of the situation and forgetting to like do the basic things to take care of themselves, which in large part was the reason for making sure that everyone had some form of support around them at all times. I guess we should mention where the tournament happened. We actually played in Brooklyn at a bar called Full Circle Bar, and a lot of the tournament was held at a restaurant next door called Taco Chulo. So when Willie's mentioning that you know, we're making sure that our rollers and people on the team are, you know, eating and staying hydrated and things like that. It's because we're traveling to a different city and they're really long days. I mean, we're pretty much there from morning hours to like after midnight. So it really is important to have enough people involved that we can take care of each other. It's also worth mentioning that we've been really fortunate the last at least three or four years um, to to have a really deep pool of rollers to choose from. And again, back in 2017, when I decided to take over the team or like put my hat in the ring for taking over as head coach, I knew that we needed to practice as many people as we possibly could. I know that we have a very strong community here in Austin. I wanted to give everyone a shot to be on the team. So we tried to reach out to everyone that we could, people who were showing a lot of promise, up-and-coming rollers, uh, along with the veterans who had been playing for a while, who had already been on the national team. We wanted to put all those people in a room together and practice them and see what what the chemistry was like. I think we had a recent conversation through uh, Slack with uh, Brubaka, who you've heard on this podcast before. He is a 
he is an individual national tournament winner, and he's been on a team from Austin who won the World Mug. 2015. Yeah. And plus a lot of other shit. Like, right. He's got. I mean, he has boxes list. and boxes of trophies that, you know, I would love to have on a shelf in my bedroom. And he's worked really hard to get those over the years. Um, and after the 2016 Beeb, we went out uh, to Wilmington, North Carolina to play in a national tournament. And we actually didn't do as well as a team. But Roy Rubaka won the whole thing in the individual tournament. And after that, he and I had, a, had multiple conversations about what Austin could do to get better and to, to win another mug and become dominant at this game and part of that was making sure that everyone knew just because you'd been on the team before didn't mean you were automatically going to make the team again and it meant that you needed to dedicate yourself to this like again it, it's a really hard thing to do because this is supposed to be fun it is fun it's why we do this it's why joey and i both got hooked it's fun but there's this competitive aspect that we thrive on or we thrive in those situations. And so taking something that's supposed to be fun and silly, very serious is just a really delicate balance. And so finding the right people who could do that and do that for months at a time, like sustain that sort of energy for three to four months leading up to a tournament practice twice a week is it's not something that everyone can do. And it's not for everyone. Not everyone plays this game to play competitively, but some of us do, and some of us like that. And so practicing as many people as possible, getting them all in the same room together to see what the team chemistry is like was incredibly necessary to make sure that Austin was going to win another mug at some point in the future. That 2016 year if i'm speaking frankly about it like we had a lot of good people in the team had really good numbers but it was the chemistry that was off we stuck to veterans who had been playing the game for a while mostly and we just stuck with high numbers and we looked at the numbers and the math looked good and i mean we fell victim to that joey and i played on our normal season team uh with our our other teammate uh joe and uh we were the only team to make it out of the group stage. But still, we had good chemistry and we had the numbers for the most part, but we were the only team to make it out of the group stage. And again, that all comes down to finding the right personalities to work together to sustain that competitive energy for months leading up to a tournament and then on game day, making sure that you are taking care of yourself, you're focused on winning eight hours of skee-ball and that's again it's not easy and it's not for everyone willie mentioned that we were on the team so we were on the team in 2015 and 2016 as rollers on the world mug team for austin and after the 2015 no after the 2016 year that was it right the the year that we stepped off the team yeah you know and like we both we just kind of both knew that we needed to step down, you know, and give other people a shot because, you know, like he mentioned, Austin has a really deep talent pool. There's a lot of really talented rollers in Austin and 
you know, honestly, there were just too many people rolling better than us, you know, and, you know, you and Roy had talked and, you know, Roy took it pretty personally. Like he took it pretty hard that we fell flat on our face in 2016 at the Wilmington National Championship because we had won the previous year, you know, so I think that was a big part of what you two had talked about in terms of like, how do we turn this team around? Because we thought we were prepared, you know, and it seemed like mechanically, like we were prepared. We just weren't prepared mentally. Like, and we just kind of fell flat. And uh, I know Roy, he, he talks about that all the time, you know, and he talked about it in practice, you know, as one of the coaches that, you know, we can't do what we did in Wilmington, you know, and since then we've turned it around and winning three in a row, you know, and I think there's a lot of reasons that we did that, you know, and we're starting to already, you know, uncover some of those reasons, you know, like chemistry and team selection and not, you know, keeping the same individuals on the team, you know, not relying on the same veterans, but giving rookies a shot and other veterans taking a step down to open up positions for other people to fill. In a game of numbers and like high scores, it's not always the people with the highest scores that are going to put together a good team. Like just realizing that there's more to this game than the numbers that are very important uh, was huge. And I think that um, it's worth noting that it, this didn't all happen because of me. Like this, not, as a head coach, like I was in a really fortunate position again to like have this supportive group of people in Austin who were all down to try whatever to like get better and to practice and to to trust the process of like finding the middle game and just getting really good at that and then having fun with it at the same time, even though all we're doing is drilling 40s over and over and over again in practice. So even though we're practicing for four months and we are drilling 40s all the time, we had to start finding ways to make it more interesting uh, when you come to practice twice a week so that everyone can have fun while still being competitive. And maybe we should talk about that for a second. I mean, you've already mentioned how often we practiced. It was like two, sometimes three times a week. And I think it's important to talk about how long we practice as like a large group before we make the team selection and then how much more practice time we have after we've identified the individuals that are actually going to be on the Austin team. It's varied over the last few years, but like I said before, I think we this year we started practice in June with the tournament happening at the end of September. So it's actually the least amount of like lead up, lead up. Yeah. yeah, to practice. Like the least the shortest amount of time for practice, though we probably crammed in more practices this time around. That's true. In June and July though, we we practice as a large group. We invited as many people as we could who have some of the numbers, but who have shown that they're just dedicated to the game, right? And we pulled all those people together, told them, you all have a shot. Even if you can't be on the team, you could be a coach. You could be part of this. Like, we can't do this without buy-in from everyone. And we practiced about 26 people, I think, is is the number I have in in the group me and the group emails and stuff. So sent that invite out to 26 people, got everyone together twice a week at first in the months of June and July. And every practice was uh, was about two hours, is, is what I asked. Like two to two and a half hours. Uh, I'm 
kind of bad at it sometimes of like sticking to the two hours because people get there late or or like we'll get into a game and and people just want to finish like well actually we're all pretty fucking bad at it yeah yeah like we just want to keep playing because it's like we enjoy practicing and we know we need it right and so i mean i'll i'll tell everybody now like if you're listening to this you're from another city i don't know that this just works for everyone but this is like this is the thing that we do we start every practice just to get loose. We give all of our rollers 10 minutes of just straight hundo practice. Just left cup, right, hundo cup, whatever you want. Go up there 10 minutes uh, and get loose. Just like relax. Just find the form that you have and, and play and see what you put up. Yeah, it's like any other sport, like basketball. Like if you're just like, hey, go shoot, like go shoot some hoops, you know, as a warm up. Yeah, and then 10 minutes of middle game only. Um, find the 40, hit some 50s if you're comfortable with it, but just stay in the middle game, 10 minutes of that, and then we'll get together and like talk about what practice is going to be like for the day. It's changed over the years, but we always try to do some sort of warm-up game for the rest of the the first hour. It's usually like a 30-minute game of a knockout or around the world or some sort of thing where everybody's sort of competing with everybody to see who the last person on the lane is or who can um who can put up the most hundreds or or whatever like there's always some sort of game uh there's there's a lot of them so I, I don't think I can name all of them here uh one of the favorites that we've worked on over the last couple of years is a game called knockout though that's pretty fun just divide the whole group of people into into two teams put them on two lanes right next to each other and line up first two rollers go up to the lane roll off against each other whoever puts up the higher score wins or if you want to just like focus on the 40 whoever puts up the most 40s wins so if you roll seven out of your nine balls into the 40 cup and the your opposing roller puts all nine balls into the to the 40 cup then you lose that means you're out of the game and you go to another lane and you just keep warming up on your 40s until you hit a full circle However, whoever won gets to go back to their line, to their team, stay in the game, and you just keep doing that until one of the teams has only one person left. That's a that's been a nice, fun warm up for us in the last couple of years. I think everyone, I don't know, it's 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 nice and casual. Like it's not too complicated. It's easy to play, you know, and it's head to head competition. You know, within a larger game of a you know a group, a large group of people, but it's still simple enough that. You know, it gets everybody going. One of the the other fun things that comes out of that is, it's not ne- it's not ever really surprising, but like sometimes you'll see one roller go up there and put up like six or seven full circles in a row, and it's not like on the same time frame as you would be doing in a regular game because maybe it's you versus three other people on the team or you versus all six other people on the other team because your team lost a bunch of people already. And then to watch a roller go up there and roll six full circles in a row is like, it's just always so, just so cool to see. And it happens surprisingly often. And uh, it just puts everybody sort of on notice that like, oh, this person is like serious. Like they're fucking playing this game right now. And uh, that's just always fun to see. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that because those are the moments, like the tiny, small moments that were super competitive against each other, even though like 
we're playing on the same team, you know, and I love that. And that's something that's, it happens all the time in Austin, which probably has, you know, and plays a role in, you know, winning three in a row. That has definitely been probably my favorite warm up. And after getting through a warm up, hopefully we've taken about an hour at this point. Uh, we try to get a full game in, which usually means that we'll assign for the first few months, we just assign random teams to see how people play with each other, to see how personalities mix and figure out what the best chemistry is going to be. We usually try to balance it a little bit with the numbers, but sometimes it's just like play with somebody new that you've never played with. Like when we reach the end of July during this practice season, we would definitely just say, find someone you haven't rolled with yet. You can't play with someone you've already rolled with. There's enough people here that we can do that. Right. Yeah. And that's super intentional. You know, that's, that's our way of intentionally playing uh, teams against each other that are comprised of rollers that don't normally roll together to see who's kind of gelling with each other. Like, and, that, and that's the chemistry part of it. That's super important because while that's happening, Willie, Roy, me, Jess, Doozles, you know, God forbid Darby, you know, is actually contributing to coaching. Um, you know, we're standing in the back, you know, and watching how personalities are, um, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, like how people are kind of working together, you know, and is there some friction? Are people getting along, you know, perfectly? Where is that chemistry and can we spot it so that, you know, it's, a consideration when we're trying to form the teams and make the actual selection. Yeah, and sometimes it's it's even more focused than that. It's not even chemistry. It's the way someone reacts to a bad role or the way someone reacts to a good role. Right. Um and reacts to the opposing team's good role or bad role. Like we want every roller on our team to be a good sport. Like we want we want to be a shining example of what it means to be, to have fun, to be competitive, but also cheer for other people when they do really cool shit up there. And if you're like, you know, if you're always like dogging on the other team for like doing poorly or you have a bad reaction to a bad role, like maybe it's not time for you yet. I don't know that anyone else takes it as seriously as I do in the sense that I usually have my phone out taking notes or I bring a fucking clipboard to practice and I'm like just penciling down like everything that I can just to make sure that I don't forget anything. And I'll usually make a a pros and cons list for every person who could possibly be on the team and not just to be on the team, but who could be a good coach, who could, who could be the emotional support, who could be the numbers person, who can I teach the numbers to so they understand what the strategy is. And then where do I put them? Where does that coach go with the three-roller team? Um, those first two months are just trying to figure out what that dynamic is going to be. Uh, and this year we, we practiced for those solid two months. And then August, I remember the day, it was like August 10th, I decided that that would be the day that we picked the teams, picked all four teams of three, picked the alternate and assign all the coaches to every team. And I tried to put two coaches with every single team because I wanted to go to Brooklyn and like represent Austin as a whole. 
I can imagine to other cities, it kind of feels ridiculous how many people like you can walk up to from Austin and they tell you that they're a coach. Like, I feel like these situations have happened before. Like, there's the, there are these surprise reactions from people that they're like, oh, you're a coach too? Like, how many fucking coaches does Austin have? And like that, I mean, Willie just touched on that. Like, we have, literally have two per team and one is usually some type of runner, you know, or just kind of like mental coach. They're just trying to keep people calm and comfortable. And if they need a drink, they, you know, run out and get a drink. If they need food, they help with that. And the other coach is primarily like watching the game you know, pretty intensely and, you know, paying attention to every single frame that is scored and keeping up with what we think the other team might do or what they're going to do or what they just did. I think that's a big factor in why Austin has been so successful is that, you know, we haven't really shied away from letting people be involved, you know, letting people call themselves a coach and giving people a role that want to be involved. I've enjoyed watching people grow as as rollers, of course, but as coaches too. I definitely have some people that I, I would say are my favorites to watch coach. And even, again, it's it's silly to think about how many people we have there and like what the support looks like. But, you know, if you look at Jess's notes, she's all over the, the numbers. Like she's really good at, at knowing the strategy in the game. And like, if there's something she doesn't know, she's really good about asking questions. Like, well, should we have pushed, you know, in frame seven or frame eight or or did we do the right thing? And normally it's the right thing, like, because you make a decision, you go with it, you live with it, whatever it is. But she also, like, in her notes, besides the numbers, you'll see things like, oh, this is what Doozles likes to drink, or this is what uh, Rachel likes to drink, this is what Ella needs whenever she needs a drink, and, like, what are your favorite snacks? It's just, like, making sure that everything is taken care of that's badass. <laughs> yeah. It, I didn't know that. I actually didn't know that. Yeah, you can check the spreadsheet. It's all there, like, that's in, legit. in one of the tabs just to make sure that everything mm-hmm. is prepared. And whoever's with her, like, she'll show the list or share the list with them. And, uh, yeah, her rollers are taken care of. In the last two years, they put up some crazy numbers when they needed to put up some crazy numbers and, and do what they needed to do. Yeah, and also everyone just loves Jess. Like, I think she's a great coach. And I think a lot of that is because of that, you know, attention to detail, but also because she's just like a joy to be around, you know, at the bar. This is some of the stuff I miss, you know, and I, I'm sure Meg would also miss this. It's just like the frequency of being around that group of people, right? you know? So um, me personally, I don't really have anything fucking skee-ball going right now because the closest place I can find a ski ball lane is fucking Dave and Buster's, you know, and I actually haven't been there in a few months. So, uh, in the four months that we've been away from Austin, I've really only rolled once on those lanes. And it's been a few months since that happened. Do they have the, uh, the classic lanes there? Do they, are you playing on like the ring of fire stuff? No, they have the, they have the like modern classic lanes. If we're going back to the process about, you know, practice and picking the team or preparing the team for the tournament. Once we've picked the team, uh, which we did like six weeks out this time around, we sort of leave practices up to those coaches and those rollers as individuals. We want them to practice as many times as they can. Whenever they can get together, we hope they're getting together. But I still put on the calendar, we're going to have a team practice on Wednesday. We're going to have a team practice on 
Sunday. I don't expect everyone to make every Wednesday and every Sunday for those six to seven weeks. But I want you to try to make one of them and then schedule something else with your team. And that's where people really start putting in work. They will be there on Tuesday night for their game. They will come to the Wednesday practice. And then they'll get together on Friday and practice. And then they'll end up coming to practice on Sunday anyway. Or at least two of the three team members will and their coach will. I mean, we're just at the fucking bar all the damn time, you know? And that really helps. Before we get too much deeper, you mentioned like how many people are invited to come like try out for the World Mug team because in Austin it's not guaranteed. You know, you're going to be on the team again if you have been in the previous year. So talk about how we find new rollers. Some of that is just first watching stats, right? Just seeing, you know, look at the top 20 to 30 people, people who have made the Brody the last couple of seasons. Look at those numbers because those are, those are important. And then talk to the rollers that are around. Talk to some of the top rollers. Talk to the rollers who who just come up to you and talk to you. The the people who are in the bar who are being friendly and personable, uh, willing to talk, or who ask questions about like, well, how do I? How do you hit the hundred all the time? Or what can I do? Because like I feel like my back foot is moving or something, and I I just can't like get the ball to go straight. And they ask questions. If they're asking questions, it means they want to get better. And those are the people you want. And Many of the people I do find through the stats, I can tell like, oh, this person's been getting better over the last couple seasons. But the top rollers always have their eyes on the people who are getting better. Like they know who's coming for them. And they'll tell you straight up like, oh, they're going to be they're going to be solid with some practice. They could benefit from coming to practice more often. And if they're willing to do it and they want to put in the work, there's no reason they shouldn't be there. That's the thing about Austin's like community and the support system that we have going. Like the top rollers want to be challenged. They're not they know they're not going to be on top forever. So if they can like cultivate the competition, they're going to do that and they're going to invite those people to come and practice and make a bunch of new friends in the process. Yeah, I mean, we can't help it. You know, like we all want to beat the best. You know, we want to solidify ourselves as the best by beating the best but also knows that there are a lot of talented rollers in austin and if you can win in austin then i think that feels a little different than winning in some of the cities that have fewer teams like in their leagues you know like that that's kind of felt special to me personally when we won you know our two championships winning them in austin yeah you know it just feels like there's a little more clout behind it but I, I do remember, you know, the first time looking at the stats and thinking, shit, I'm in the top 32 people of 200 plus rollers. Like, that's crazy. Like, I've done a lot of things in my life to be competitive, whether it was like, it usually was like related to school. Like, I made good grades and stuff. And like, that was a point of comparison for lots of things for me growing up. Uh, I was in band. I was in like, fucking high school bands and stuff. And I did, no matter what I was doing, I wanted to be the best. I wanted to like see that, but like ski ball, like scratch that itch in a different way to see all these people come together and play a silly game, but take it seriously. And then be, you know, in a tournament at the end of the season with the other top rollers. has always been fun. And it's like, sort of egotistical to like think about but it's like 
I don't know. I, I do enjoy being thought of as being one of the best and getting asked the questions. I mean, I think if you're listening to us right now, like you're in the same boat, you know, like or if you're not there now, you're going to be eventually, you know, where you just want to be the best. Like, you know, it's fun. We love everybody involved. We're having a great time, but we're all super competitive. I'll say there's a caveat to that, right? Like you don't have to want to be like the most competitive skee-ball player in this format, right? In the like three versus three tournament or the head-to-head like full 10 frame match. Let's see who has the highest average at the end of the day, right? You might just go somewhere and practice with your friends and like be like, who's going to hit the most hundreds today, right? And that's bragging rights. And that's like, that's a thing you want to be good at. Cool. Do that. You don't have to do competitive ski ball in the way that we're talking about to like, to find that sort of competitive drive that you like get stuck and obsessed with like, trying to be better and better at it every day. That's true, yeah. And to scratch that itch, it doesn't have to be, you know, in a league, you know, or in a bracket tournament. Like, I mean, we do that shit all the time. It's like, hey, let's have a hundo challenge. And it's a single frame. We're just like, the person that can hit the most hundos in this one frame feels good about themselves, you know, and feels like, you know, we've come out on top. In thinking about cultivating that team and like getting all those people, selecting those people for the team, it really is about, trying to to put the best team together to to represent Austin. We want that from everybody. Like we want that from all of the other cities too. Like we we want to play in those tournaments because we do want to be the national champions. Everyone who ends up being on that team has some competitive nature to them that like playing in those high pressure situations is what we want to be doing. We want that competition. And it's been great to see over the last few years. Even sharing this information, you know, like Willie as a head coach and even us just kind of talking like casually about the selection process and how we invite people to come be a part of that team. It's just all about sharing information. You know, we have conversation with people from Brooklyn all the time and they're kind of rebounding, you know, from some low points in their league. and. You know, it's helpful to share this information from city to city, you know, and learn what people are doing and share that information so that each city can, you know, kind of find, you know, their process. Yeah. Again, yeah, we want really high level of competition. We just want to play skee-ball competitively and sharing means that everyone gets to put their best foot forward. And again, our process might not work for everybody, but I'm more than happy to talk about that in future episodes and go into details or answer questions about that sort of thing if if that helps. And I think we're looking at more ways to to share that information and put that out there. Uh, so just other things, other things about that weekend, things I can remember that were memorable were a lot of the conversations I had with people. You know, it was the first time that we were meeting people from Boston in person. It was the first time that I met people from Chicago. And and when I say people from Boston and Chicago, I'm talking about people that are in leagues outside of brewski ball, basically coming to the National Ski Ball League tournament to participate in a tournament that is primarily dominated by brewski ball rollers. So having these outsiders, you know, you know, as the term for people outside of brewski ball in that community come into, you know, this format 
and play in a new style and a new tournament and be able to have conversations with them and talk to them about what they do differently in their leagues, you know, compared to what we're doing um, in Brewskyball. You know, that was like one of the most memorable things, talking to Ev from Boston. Like I can remember having, I mean, shit, multiple conversations with with him every single day and he just got it. Like we had a lot of conversations about what Austin was doing from like a strategy perspective. Shit, he even called us out on one of the mistakes we made and like I overlooked it. And then the next day we're like, fuck, we made a mistake. And he's like, that's what I was telling you the night before. And I was like, you're right. And I was like, fuck. Um, But that was really interesting. And talking to Mike from the ski league in Chicago, like, you know, it was just great to meet rollers like, you know, Kevin McSki and even some other brewski ball rollers that we didn't know personally, like Jacob, you know, from Wilmington and stuff like that. Like Roto had conversations with Tracy from Wilmington conversations with Skeletor, uh, Rick from SF slash LA, you know, those are probably some of the most memorable moments of the weekend besides like some of the high caliber matches. I definitely had some good moments like that, being able to just to talk about ski ball with people that I don't get to talk to on a, a daily basis. Like I do with, you know, people from Austin. Unfortunately, it wasn't as, as much, I don't think as you or as really anyone else. Cause I was, like head down in a computer looking at numbers most of the time, keeping a close eye on matches that we were in, close eye on matches that we actually didn't have anyone playing in, but were important to seeding and all that sort of thing. I think the the conversation I did have that stood out the most was uh was probably Mike from Chicago. He was one of those people who came up and was very uh thankful for for what we were trying to do on the podcast and that that we we really do just want more people to play. Like I said this competitive style might not be your style, but we really just like playing skee-ball. And he got that right away. Like, he was like, I didn't know what this was going to be coming here to this tournament. I didn't know what the uh, podcast was going to be like. I, fi- I thought you guys were just going to, like, talk about brewski-ball and how how that's what everybody needs to yeah, be. Yeah, he did seem surprised. Yeah, and when he was talking to me about it, he was like, I'm glad that you guys are just covering it from the point of, like, playing skee-ball. And that's what we want to do. We want to, like... I don't care what kind of alley roller machine you're on. Like, if you want to play, like, sure, let's play. And I'll, I'll show you some games that we can play no matter what lane you're on. And uh, I, I think that I could teach you a little something about rolling up the middle and rolling at hundos and, like, getting better at it. Like, it's going to take a lot of practice. Uh, and what works for me might not work for you, but I could, I could probably talk you through the process a little bit and just be supportive of whatever that is. Yeah, and everybody can learn something from another roller. You know, and like and that's one of the things I've learned, you know, after participating in a really small kind of like private group, you know, of people from a, a few different cities and one of the things I notice is that Roy is like constantly learning. Roy's one of the best rollers in the country. Like he's literally, you know, the rollers national champion from 2016, you know, and we're constantly thinking about how we can evolve our game. The mental side of it is a monster, you know, because we can feel completely confident in our physical ability to roll a ball into a certain target, but then completely get in our way mentally, you know, and it's one of the hugest hurdles that any competitive roller is going to, you know, going to come across. And that's why I think that, you know, regardless, you know, of how, how experienced a roller is, like you can learn something from every single roller. 
to sort of put an exclamation to sort of put an ex <laughs> to sort of put a exclamation point on that i want to go back to that conversation with mike and just say you know i'm really glad that he came up and had that conversation with me and thank him like right now thank him for that conversation because again that's what we want to do we want to like we want to reach out to other people we want to share our stories we want to get better at ski ball with other people we want to learn from others we want to hopefully help you learn a little bit and he got that again like right away so i'm really glad that we got to connect on that level during that conversation i was impressed with that too like i was honestly just glad to hear it as well like when you told me that i was like that's it right and i think that's that's, fucking it that's why we're going to have to continue doing this if you heard the update you know that like if you're listening to this now it's been a while but we're gonna we're gonna keep doing this and making sure that we share this with everybody. And this goes back to the you know, like we're talking about now, the original concept of even doing this in the first place was like we have these conversations all the fucking time. Not so much now, uh, in terms of like being side by side and in front of each other in person, but we had these conversations all the fucking time and there's really no reason for us to not like include others or not you know, record these and capture them and, you know, put them out there for other people to listen to and enjoy, you know, and relate to. We don't have to wrap up right away, but like before we do, I think we should talk about some of our favorite moments, like on the lane of that tournament. Cause it was, it was filled with a lot of mm-hmm. good moments. I think the most memorable thing from that weekend is how few frames I was actually able to roll. You know, and it was like one of the most crushing things about that weekend is that it made me realize how much I fucking miss being a roller on the team. Even outside of that, I still didn't. I mean, I mean, obviously, I'm not a roller on the team, so therefore, I rolled a lot fewer frames. But I still don't even feel like I rolled any. Like I barely rolled any fucking frames that weekend, and like that part of it really sucks. Like on a personal level, because I mean. I'm a pretty competitive person, you know, and I want to be a roller on the team. So that's one of the memorable, the most memorable things. And and part of that is probably because I moved and I no longer roll in brewski ball because I'm not located in Austin anymore. So I think that was like a bit heightened. Yeah. Um, but like, it just fucking sucked yeah. to not be able to roll. I'm going to take a little bit of shine off of that and say that, uh, and this is the competitive side of me. I think I probably rolled four frames that entire weekend that was sort of by choice like some of that was me sitting behind the computer and then when i did have the opportunity to roll i did roll uh on the lane that was in the front of fcb oh yeah i kicked serpico's ass on that lane i probably rolled like three or four times and all three of them or four of them were like 45 plus i think one of them was a 63 and so i was like i'm not touching this i'm, I'm not gonna play anymore i'm gonna leave everybody with that note of like that's it. I, fucking, I still got this. I did it. And then just walked away, and that was it. Like That's hilarious. <laughs> I just chose not to play anymore. But, you know, a little bit of that is repetition, and some of that's luck. Like, it was already, like, 2 a.m. probably when I did that. And uh, it was impressive to everyone else because they probably were drunk, and I wasn't. And, <laughs> uh, oh. I did, I did have some hilarious conversation with snakes that... I won't get into on this show, but great matches with Serpico and some hilarious conversation with snakes. Yeah. Um, 
in regards to the actual tournament, I don't know exactly what my favorite game was or, or match to watch was, but I think it's. Well, I got, think that's clear. You think I could guess it? I would say it's Bonica versus yeah, Jacob Stout. I think that's probably it. I think it's probably Phoenix. Unless uh, you were going Skiva. No, I, I Biba? think the Biba. Biba. Biba was their name during the tournament. Biba La Rasa instead of Skiva La Rasa. Skiba. Bonica is one of the rollers on Skiva La Rasa or Biba La Rasa as they're known during the tournament. And they just had a really good game. It was something like 405 or 410. I don't know. It was it was above 400 points, but that was Bonica and and Jacob just trading blows in the last few frames. Whoever won that game, they had both pushed each other to be better rollers during that. And that was that's always good to see. I was just sort of honored that that Bonica even like asked me to coach them during that game because Bonica can play the game. They're one of the best rollers in the game right now. Like hands down. And they're mentally tough. They know what to do. They know what the strategy is. So to have Bonica ask me to like be in their corner was, you know, just an honor for me. Yeah, that was an intense match. That's probably my favorite match for sure. I mean, it's just it's fucking top notch rolling, like to the point that you kind of lose track of who you're rooting for. You know, it's just like sure, all yeah. of a sudden all about respect. It's like fuck, if Jacob wins, he deserved it, and I don't even care to be upset about this anymore, even though I'm completely rooting for Bonica. You know, because, like, I mean, this is fucking ATX. I want to see Bonica advance in the tournament and, like, have a shot at winning this entire fucking thing. So, like, right, and they that was one of could, the matches. That they was, could have won the whole thing. Yeah, totally. If they had gotten past that match, it's very possible that Bonica would have won the whole thing. Yeah, and that was one of the matches where, like, I lost track of that. Because it was just so fucking high level competitive and like, you know, it was just a ball and match. I was surprised because I knew, I knew Jacob was a good roller because I can see the numbers online on the stats website and I can see that he's been rolling very well in Wilmington. But it was the first time I met him in person and like I caught up with him like waiting in the line for the bathroom at Taco Chulo and I kind of just like thanked him for, you know, being a supporter of the podcast since the very first episode. And dude was like completely down to earth and super humble. And like, you know, all that did was make me respect him more, you know, in addition to like respect him as a person, in addition to respecting his ability to roll very, very well, like in a high pressure situation. So, you know, he may have had the most impressive performance of like the entire weekend for me. I'm going to go back to that thought you just had because uh i i don't know if we've actually recorded this on the podcast yet or not jacob yeah was the first person to email us right after 40 out sent out his first episode and told us immediately like oh here's some more uh, lanes to add to your map make sure you know that these are here at this place and uh that's what we want we want we want sort of that support we want to know where people can find more lanes we want more people to play so i appreciate that he, he did that and I'm grateful and you know it's a cool thing i think the other match that i would say is you know sticks out i would say there's two there's uh austin's uh texas lane score no wait mm. shit 
I would say Texas, Texas Lane score ma- Wait, <laughs> no. <laughs> I would say Texas Lane saw a massive scores game right. in the semifinals versus uh, Brooklyn uh, G Train. Maybe one of the trains. It was G Train. Yeah, L Train made it to the final. So it was L Train. So it was L Train. Oh, it was L Train. Yeah, yeah, because they lost to L Train. Um, L Train beat Austin's team. Gotcha. In to get the to the semifinals. Final. Yeah. Uh, that game was fun to watch because. I don't know, somewhere around the sixth or seventh frame, we were down by like 20 or 30 points. And they brought it back to a, a seven point game going into the last frame. And we could have won. It was just uh, execution at that point. Like you can't be on all the time. And we needed everyone to hit their numbers in the last frame to, to make it competitive. And then I think that uh, L Train. Just ended up closing it out with a fully at the end. It was definitely a 36. I just don't remember if it was actually like a dirty fully, meaning not all 40s. might have been some hundos and 40s. But I think they just closed it out with a fully to, to win the game by seven. I do remember that it was a fun game to watch, but it was also a fucking nail-biter. Yeah. And probably the most stressed I was. Oh, it was definitely stressful. And also, I should point out that like we're not looking at numbers or anything right now, so I don't really know if those are the real numbers. I'm thinking about this from memory from Mm -hmm. like four months ago now. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up Um, (laughs) because I forgot about that. Um, And I think that uh, I know that one in particular because Serpico was asking about it like probably less than a week ago. He was... That guy. He's been watching through. (laughs) You can join him in watching through all of the coverage from... Hours and hours Yeah, you can go to twitch.tv slash NSBL. You can watch all those matches. There's like 21 hours or something i don't remember what it is it's something crazy of footage from that weekend and serpico has been going back through and watching all of it and just sometime within the last week yeah within the last like five days or so he is uh he's texted to ask like hey what was going on during frame seven during this game like i can tell that's where he's at right now in watching those matches i don't know i wonder if he's finished actually at this point yeah, so we've been here for like five days. So like that would have been like right when we arrived here. Yeah. Like shortly before us arriving here was the last time that he was communicating about watching some of that footage. Yeah. And he might be doing it now, but we are in the middle of nowhere with no internet connection and yeah, no he probably is. cell service. So He's a fucking monster. <laughs> yeah. So that game was fun. It was stressful and we lost. So that's disappointing. But again, it's about competition. I, I would have liked to... At, to win that game and then not have to worry about who wins the finals. Just be like, okay, Austin won the whole thing. It's Austin versus Austin in the finals. Great. We did it again. Like, we locked it down. Yeah. Three years in a row, It's that's the best that we could have done, right? That's the best I could have done at that point, like, thinking about being the head coach of the team. I mean, it doesn't get it much better than that. No. And I, hope, I mean, luckily that didn't happen because that would have been boring for, like, everybody there. Yeah. Yeah, and so then the last game turned into a, another game to watch, and that was obviously I like watching us win national tournaments, national championships, uh, and watching uh, Biba La Rasa um, do that again for the second time in three years uh, was a lot of fun. Put on a fucking forty clinic, yeah, is what they did. Yeah, I don't remember the final score. I really have no idea. I think it, it, they were both over a thousand. Oh yeah, for sure. Then. I feel like it was like a ten twenty or ten thirty, yeah. But it was it was good. It was 
again, just like yeah, consistency. Like every single one of those rollers, rollers just knows how to hit the 40 without a doubt. I remember feeling like, damn, this is how it's done. Like everything is kind of coming to fruition. Like all of that preparation, like the months not recording for this podcast, showing up for two, three practices a week. Like they were bringing us home. They were bringing the mug back to Austin for a third year in a row. And just remembering like, damn, this is how it's done. Like, and honestly feeling surprised at times, like, could I do this? Like, could I do that? Like, I don't fucking know if I could do that. Like, and maybe that's a problem or maybe that's okay because we have them here to do it with us and for us. Yeah. And so like, I don't know. It was all those emotions like wrapped up into one. My biases are definitely showing that like I would pick Austin moments from the tournament. Those are the things that, that do stand out to me. And that's not to say that there weren't all kinds of other good matches that happened because there were. There were a lot of other things that happened that... Um, yeah, can, that we can't remember. Can't remember. <laughs> you can go back and watch and like you can see how different highly competitive play is whenever everyone's coming from a different place, right? Like everyone doesn't just go for the 40s during those tournaments. Some people do, but some people become really strong hundo rollers and they play a hybrid game where they'll go at the hundo first and then hit some 40s and 50s in the middle just to like just to make sure that they can secure a win. And and people are doing that all the time. Joey the Cat who played in the finals is one of the best 50 rollers there is. Right? And he played against the Skee-Ball Kid from uh, Jersey, right? Who um, basically put on sort of a hybrid clinic for a lot of people. Like he was really good at hitting hundos. And then also really smart about backing down the middle and just putting up big scores. And that game for the finals, like also a high scoring game. And that's people just doing what they do, being comfortable on the lane and then just playing and not worrying about what else was going on around them. Just like play the game. Skee-ball kid. Knew he was a good roller coming into the tournament. Proved to be a really good roller by winning the entire thing. But I think a lot of people have touched on this. You know, like Serpico, Attila, you know, in like our private conversations after the Beeb, after that tournament, have talked about how quickly he made adjustments to his own game to like get where, you know, he ended up. Right. Like to be competitive up. in this format, right? Exactly. Because that's not what he's used to playing. Yeah. Um, he's got a couple of other championships from different uh, tournaments. From different tournaments, and they're not in the same style as these. Yeah, not really not even close. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, completely different. Right. And I've I've heard that he's uh he's gonna be playing in Brooklyn possibly over yeah. the summer. That's what it sounds like. I'm I'm excited to see what he does to that league and what sort of adjustments he makes in that uh, in coming to a, a you know a ten frame format, being on a team and and seeing what what that does cuz i think i mean most of the tournaments i think that he's been in have all been individual tournaments and you know winning this national championship at the individual level is different than playing on a team and winning a skis and mug so i'm excited to see what that does i always contemplate and we've had this conversation with Roy like what is harder winning the team competition or winning the individual competition it will be interesting to see how the skee-ball kid performs on a team in that team setting, you know, because his wins before 
the 2019 Rollers Championship were individual tournaments. And then he won that tournament, which was, which was also an individual tournament. And the Hondo Challenge. He won that too. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, he just kind of showed up and quickly adapted his game to this format and somehow performed under the pressure, which I think is the most surprising thing, you know, and, and what I think gained my respect, you know, as a spectator was that he was able to not really have any experience in this format and show up and like put up the same numbers and then beat one of the best in the game. And do it over the course of two days too. Like put up those consistent numbers for a few hours of play over two days, which, you know, anything can change from day to day. And you might be hot one day and not the next. And uh, yeah, he showed consistency throughout all that. Now, for real, before we wrap up, I do want to, I do want to give a shout out to to all the people in Brooklyn that were hosting us there, and all the other rollers who were there at that tournament who took the time to like sit and chat and talk about ski ball and everything else. Um, want to say thank you to FCB Brooklyn for hosting us, uh, and for you know, just being such great hosts. Uh, but but what was uh, you have any other things that stood out? on our visit to uh, New York that uh, were Well, I think it was, it was both of our first visits to New sure, York. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. like going, walking across the Brooklyn Bridge and getting some really good Italian food in the financial district and um, going up to the top of the Empire State Building. Like those were all things that none of us had done. Yeah. Uh, well, maybe none of us, but the two of us. Like, yeah. Neither of us had done that. So like that was a huge highlight too. And it kind of put into perspective how big New York City is to me because I always felt like it was small, like looking at it, yeah. you know, on a map. And then like being there, I was like, fuck, like, okay. Yeah, and Barbara and I, on the day that we uh, left Brooklyn, we purposefully scheduled our flight to be at like 9 or 9.30 at night so that we'd have a full day in the city to just, you know, hang out. We uh, actually went to the, the Guggenheim uh, that Tuesday or whatever. And uh, hung out there for a few hours before going to Central Park. But that was a cool visit. Uh, I have some cool pictures that I, I should share with everybody soon of some of the stuff that I got to see that day. But yeah, all the things you just said about Brooklyn, those were all definitely cool experiences to have for the first time. And just hang out and see the city. Uh, it was definitely different. Like, I grew up in a very small town and then moved to Austin when I was 18, which is, you know... Uh, a long time ago now, like 18 years ago. And Austin is a growing city, but it, it's, not, it's not New York, and it's a different kind of city. There's a different feel to it. There was a lot of, it was busy all the time, and there, were, there was a lot more diversity than I think I'm used to in Austin, even though like Austin is diverse in ways. It's not that. It's not, so, it's not that sort of cultural sort of mixing pot that like people talk about when they talk about that sort of thing. Uh, so that was really cool to experience and really cool to see. But overall, yeah, that trip was was pretty awesome. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. You know, I don't even feel like we even like scratched the surface of what we could even experience in New York City. No, absolutely not. I mean, most of those hours were dedicated to ski ball. If we weren't at the bar talking to teammates and preparing or actually, you know, watching the team roll, we were in the Airbnb like strategizing and talking about what happened the day before. And what our game plan was moving forward and like 
who we needed to chat with on the team and what we needed to do. Like, what we're going to have for fucking lunch. Like, all those things, like, lunch conversations revolved around ski ball. Yeah. Watching ski ball revolved around ski ball. Uh, hanging out after the night of rolling ski ball, we were talking about ski ball. So it was just nonstop. Yeah, those hour, usually, like, getting an hour break was going to get lunch or going to get dinner and then talking about what we needed to do as soon as we got back. You know, to you know, the kind of second what you said, major thanks to everybody, you know, willing to have a conversation with us and friendly and, you know, amazing in terms of community. You know, Rick, I talked to a lot. Serpico from Brooklyn, Attila, Tracy, uh, Jacob, Brodo. Who am I missing? Pretty much everybody. You know, it just feels like home, you know, and if you're inside of this community, you know exactly what we're talking about. You know, when we get together, it just feels like a family. And, you know, I don't really have that anymore since moving. So, you know, that's also one of the most memorable things when I think back to, you know, the end of September, you know, was traveling there, getting to see y'all, you know, the entire team from Austin, which I kind of like parted from halfway and like, you know, our training montage you know, or like preparing for that tournament, you know, having to leave in the middle of that uh, to move and then regroup a month later to like rejoin as a part of the staff and like the process. It was incredibly emotional. Like after we won, I was like, yeah, I was way beyond emotional and I don't know why. And the only thing I could come back to was that, you know, from the get go, I knew that that just wasn't there for me anymore. So like when it happened, I was like, holy fuck it happened and like that's three in a row and like everybody involved and then like i know i'm going back home to where none of those people are so like i was like fucking like i was a wreck i was also drunk right i think that's (laughs) i mean i think it's understandable because i mean this has been this has been a big part of our lives for the last five years now i started playing in the spring of 2014 and you started just before that like probably yeah, fall, 2013. fall 2013. I mean, this has taken up a lot of our extra time and that's totally understandable that you would have that feeling. And that's, again, that's more reason that we have to continue doing this. We have to continue having these conversations and that we will, like there won't be anything that stops us from this going forward and finding new ways to, to engage with everyone and continue these conversations. Cause can't let this go. Like, doesn't matter what the distance is like we'll figure this part out and we'll you know that was always part of the plan was we want to interview people from chicago we want to interview people from new york and la and whatever and we're going to do that we haven't even started doing that yet so like of course there's still a lot more to come yeah and you know on that note you can still reach us on instagram very easily at 40 out podcast you can email us at find the 40 at gmail.com communicate with us through slack and through group me and you know let us know what you want to hear you know because we're open to feedback you know we want to continue delivering content that's engaging and interesting to listen to yeah thanks for listening thanks and look out for the next episode